Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Earth 2 podcast, your weekly exploration of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. We're still kind of in Seven Soldiers of Victory territory this week, aren't we, Peter? Yes, it's been a spectacular summer of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Yes. Today's episode works as a lovely coda. It's a nice fancy word for all, all that we've been doing for the last six, five, six weeks. <gasps> if not longer. And again, once again, I'll mention, once again, I'll mention that Arian recorded his Adam Strange lines in February. Maybe the last time I get to mention that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a coda because it's a comic that was actually published two days before issue 102 mm. of Justice League of America, which was the final part of the JLA JSA Seven Soldiers of Victory story, as we all know. We're doing today issue 214 of World's Finest Comics. And it's only been about eight episodes since we did World's Finest 213, but it feels like a lot longer. <laughs> yes, I think the best way to tell you why we're doing issue 214, if you don't know so already, is for Peter to tell you about the cover. Yes, at the top of the cover, we have DC World's Finest in the top left, 20 cents in the top right, and either side of the World's Finest Comics logo... On the left, we have Superman, and on the right, we have The Vigilante. Hooray! And the main image of the cover, we have a full moon looming in the background to take a drink, folks. Yes, we're going to be paralytic by the end of this episode. <laughs> get it and get started early. Superman is being attacked by a hideous wolfman-like creature. He's almost mm. like man-bat, looking at his ears. So he is, yeah. Yeah, it's very strange. I didn't notice that before. And the Vigilante is riding across a rope bridge ravine to try and save him. He's got his lariat out and he's mm. whipping it in the air. And at the very bottom, there is a scroll that says, A beast stalks the Badlands. Featuring a special guest appearance by Batman. I love this cover. It's just like, I mean, it's slightly unrepresentative of what takes place inside. Sure. But it's so exciting. Like The, the fact that the rope mm-hmm. bridge is kind of, looks as though it's not in the best state of repair. Yes. It, you get the feeling it might collapse underneath Veg and his motorbike as they speed along. Uh-huh. Soup's neck angling away from the, the werewolf-type beastie guy. It's a cracker. Yeah, it kind of implies that it's going to rip his throat out, actually. Yeah. Because look at the, the teeth in the, in the wolfman and the fact that Soup's jugular is exposed so much. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Obviously, the vigilante being a member of the Seven Soldiers of Victory, at this point in the... if As Peter pointed out in our preparation, at this point in the, the publication of this story... Vigilante hasn't been rescued yet. <laughs> the last part, if you were if you've been buying these comics precisely the day of Quantum Mike's that they were published, you'd have read this one and sort of thought, all right, well, Vigilante obviously gets away okay because Superman is fighting this werewolf with him. Either that or Superman flies away from Metamorpho and Sandman saying, it's okay, I know where Vigilante is. He's over here. I'll go and get him. <laughs> we have to deal with this werewolf guy first and I'll be right back. Oh, can you imagine... <laughs> Can you imagine if this had actually tied into the plot of JLA 102? Oh my goodness, that would have been amazing. Well. It's weird, like, obviously, listeners, when we did JLA 78 and 79 a while ago, mm-hmm. they reintroduced the vigilante to a, a contemporary audience, and we postulated at that point, was this him saying that vigilante was on Earth 1? And we've had a few stories with vigilante since. Yes. Backup stories in adventure comics chiefly, but now this team-up appearance with Superman and Batman in World's Finest. And the introduction of the introduction of Vigilante with alongside the Seven Soldiers of Victory 
throws throw a bit of a, a mild spanner in the works from a cohesive, coherent continuity point of view, doesn't it? It certainly does, yes, because it just basically means that they have to have an Earth 2 version. Yeah. Because there's no way this could be the same character if he's like running about on Earth 1, having all these adventures, and he's lost in time at the same time. Absolutely. Unless, of course, he's transposed back in time on Earth 1, but again, that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. So It's, it's an interesting thing because... When um he was reintroduced in JLA seventy eight, everyone sort of remembered him and remembered him as this previous sort of you know mm-hmm. a- active hero. But then no one seems to remember him or have heard of him in JLA one hundred. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's very messy. I wish I knew what people thought about it at the time. We'll have to keep our eyes open for any contemporary letters that talk about this sort of thing. Yes, it's very interesting. But we're we're sort of assuming that because he's acting and appearing alongside the contemporary of one Superman and Batman in this story, this is indeed the same version of Vigilante that we've read about in Adventure Comics, and we will read about in Adventure Comics again very soon. Mm-hmm. And who also popped up in the, the off-mentioned JLA. 78 and 79 but it is interesting to think about the storytelling I mean if this was happening nowadays you cannot imagine that there Mm -hmm. would be this level of confusion no it probably either would be worked into the storyline or they would have quickly gone eh we'd better forget about this other vigilante then because they've just brought him back in GLA Again, it had to be a six-issue miniseries dealing with it, or a two-line throwaway, yeah, a panel buried somewhere. Yeah, it wouldn't be anything in between. Uh, <laughs> and of course, they don't—they just don't address it at all, which is fascinating. Mm. But anyway, listeners, we should probably get on with the story, shouldn't we? If you want to read along at home and you don't have a copy of World's Finest two hundred and fourteen, but if you do have a copy of the hardcover World's Finest Guardians of Earth, you will be able to read along with us because that was the the final story in this little run of Superman having team up adventures. Yes, before the. The saga of the Super Sons start in the next issue. And my goodness, I wish we could cover that. I wish that fell into a remit. We could maybe cover it. Mm. There's, you know, there is an argument to be made. Yeah. That, uh, it's something that does fall into a remit. Listeners, we'll throw it out to you. Yes. Do you think we should cover the saga of the Super Sons? Yes. And if anyone can summon up the energy to reply, we'll think about it. Because there, <laughs> there, there is that issue, later issue of World's Finest Comics that kind of poos all over it yeah if there's a super sons christmas episode we could maybe do that at some point is it an episode <laughs> where the super sons go to scotland <laughs> today in a very special episode <laughs> of the super sons love the super sons yes but yes this issue world's finest 214 but the looks of things i bought mine from a good friend mr root mm-hmm. lately minted peter root roughly i guess must have been about at the latest like 1993 1994 <laughs> <laughs> situation that was going on and mm-hmm. you know what i don't think i'd honestly read it before the preparation for today <laughs> <gasps> really isn't that Gosh. terrible yeah oh well i remember getting mine from a, a comic mart in probably the late 90s early 2000s right i definitely remember getting it because i thought oh because as you said this cover is really striking mm. i didn't even have to check my book and you definitely didn't have this one yeah back when i had a book and not clz yeah i still have a book <laughs> Listeners, how do you keep track of what comics that you collect? Do you use the online app or do you have a little book? I have a little book. Anyway, no, I mean, this is the one I would have picked up because it co-starred a Golden Age superhero. Mm-hmm. And obviously, some of the, quite a few of the other Superman team-up issues were 52 pages, which had nice reprints and stuff. But it's an interesting one. It's a fun story. It's a very exciting story. It goes in a few twisty, turny type places. And yeah, just I love the fact that it came out. <laughs> it came out two days before JLA 102. Amazing. <laughs> We should say, of course, if we haven't said it already, it does mean we've, we have seven consecutive Seven Soldiers-related episodes. It does indeed. There we are. And that's nice because we just we didn't really think about that 
far ahead. We just sort of thought, oh, good, we're going to have six episodes because we had our, our road twos and the episodes and the wrap-up. Anyway, uh-huh. this is ridiculous. This is the longest I think we've ever gone before we got started in the story. <laughs> so, you know, before we rabbit on any further, we should probably get on with it. World's Finest 214, cover dated November 1972. Our opening splash panel. A little scroll along the top reads... Presenting a world's finest tale of Western terror, co-starring Superman and the Vigilante. And there's a very helpful See What You See caption that tells us what's going on in this opening splash image. The Man of Steel looks into the eyes of death, the eyes of a raging, slobbering beast. He feels its hot, wheezing breath, and more. He sees its massive claw-like hands reaching, reaching... He feels his powers drain away, his fantastic strength useless against this incredible magical creature of darkness. And all the while, the vigilante lies but a few yards away, unable to help, his legs hopelessly trapped beneath the agonizing weight of timber and rock. Yes, it's a very dynamic image. The werewolf guy looks a little bit less like Man-Bat, but still, actually, in this panel, he looks yeah. more like the Mandrel, the Marvel villain. Yes, I can see that. Mm-hmm. The details in his face. But, you know, he's, he's a lovely, thick head of blonde hair. He's got Superman's head in his hand. Superman is pulling back, trying to get away. And as we, as Pete said, as the caption read, Vigilante trapped under some rocks alongside a blonde lady who's also trapped under some rocks. What's all going on here, then? We'll probably find out before too long. And there's a, a nice silhouette image of the werewolf walking through the desert at the bottom of the page as the caption title for the story reads A Beast Stalks the Badlands. And we have another little caption, which is quite interesting. Gives us the credits for this comic. Script by Steve Skeets, pages 1 to 7 and 14 to 18. And Denny O'Neill, pages 8 to 13 and 19 to 24. Pencils by Dick Dillon, inks Joe Giella, edited Julie Schwartz. You know, it's it's the same art team and editorial person responsible for JLE yeah. 100 to 102. <laughs> there has to have been a conversation. It's bizarre. <laughs> it is. It really is. It's like they probably just thought, hey, you know what? Stuff it. Nobody will notice. Nobody will care. We'll see. <laughs> Right, into the story proper, the caption for the first panel of page two. The hot western sun beats down upon the WGBS-TV mobile unit as roving reporter Clark Superman Kent heads across the Montana Badlands. Yes, this first page is Clark in the big orangey-coloured vehicle driving through some very, very moody and beautifully lit and beautifully coloured scenery, it must be said. Hopefully there'll be room for some of this on the socials. Mm -hmm. As he's driving along on this opening page, Clark is thinking to himself, of all the miserable assignments, covering graduation exercises at a school for rodeo performers. And the graduation activity is going to be a rodeo itself. Morgan Edge wants this to be a pleasant light documentary, but I've always found rodeos to be one of the most brutal of human sporting activities. What with the way they often break calves' legs and calf roping, not to mention the hideous way they make those broncos buck. In the final panel of page two, we can see Clark is approaching what seems to be some kind of destination as he continues to think. Still, I should be able to throw a few caustic comments into my report. Besides, it'll be good to see the vigilante again. He's booked a special guest star doing some fancy trick shooting. So straight away, Clark is thinking it'll be good to see the vigilante again. Is that because <laughs> is that because he saw him just saw him in Earth Two after rescuing him from the Nebula Man, or is it because he remembers seeing him in Justice League seventy eight to seventy nine? We shall see. So we arrive at the top of page three. There's a lot going on in the first panel, and the caption reads. 
And so it begins as the spectators gather and the performers prepare. First comes an interview with the vigilante, as one of the performers walking nearby stiffens with shock. Yes, as I said, there's a lot going on in this panel. Clark Kent is interviewing Vigilante, Vigilante resplendent in his traditional blue gear with his red face mask and white hat. Clark, we should point out, is wearing a blue suit and a white shirt and a black tie. He's not wearing his stripy suit that he sometimes has <laughs> at this period. He's gone through that phase. Yeah. Lots of cowboy-type folk are standing around. Some of them actually look quite menacing because their their faces are in shadow. Mm. We can see the WGBS cameras pointing at them. Clark is holding a microphone up to Vigilante. And there's a chap standing immediately behind them, who's probably the person that the first caption they referred to. He also has his eyes in shadow and is reacting, as Clark says to Vigilante. And now, as an expert in the West, tell us about the history of rodeos. Glad to, Mr. Kent. And this chap standing behind them, who in this panel actually looks like Louis Capaldi, it must be said. He thinks to himself, Huh? And then the captioning for this large panel continues. One would think that any performer would be glad to get publicity, but... There are those who hold within themselves terrible secrets, and who swing between a desire to be known and a fear of being found out. Case in point. And the next panel, we see this chap, who we can see he's got blonde hair under his hat, listening in as Vigilante continues. Vigilante is saying, Events at a rodeo are based on the type of work done by ranch hands. And this chap, in the green jacket and the hat and the blonde hair and the hooded eyes, is thinking, Uh oh. Walked right into line with that TV camera. Yes, obviously he walked through the, the, the interview. In the final panel, page three, he's he's making tracks. He's walking away from the whole situation through some grass, and he's thinking... It got a good close-up of my face. Can't risk anyone seeing that film and recognising me for what I am. Gotta do something about this pronto. We now arrive at the top of page four. Clark Kent is not the only reporter on hand. Yes. We see two men standing leaning against a fence. One guy wearing... Sort of orange shirt, dark hair, neat moustache. Another chap who obviously works in show business because he's wearing a purple suit, a white polo neck, his big bouffant brown hair, and is wearing gold-framed glasses with blue-tinted lenses. Now, he's obviously, presumably, the the other reporter the caption was talking to. Now, this other reporter guy, we don't get his name, I don't think, in the whole story, he is saying, You small-town hicks know nothing about heroism. It takes a lot of guts to do what the vigilante does, considering he's human, just like you and me. Bah! You big city folks are jaded. You have the world's greatest hero, Superman, living in one of your big cities, but you ignore him in favor of some nut who rides around on a motorcycle. Okay, Rube. I'll chronicle Vigilante's exploits for my newspaper, and you can mope around and think about Superman. Who knows? You might even get lucky. The big luck might show up here. There's an interesting bit of foreshadowing there, and we should obviously point out that Rube is a sort of derogatory term used, I believe for sort of um, Carney-type folk and stuff. Yes. I first came across it in an issue of the X-Men, I believe. Ah, okay. I can't remember if it was the, the John Byrne Claremont period or an earlier story, but basically someone has infiltrated a fairgrounds carnival-type situation, and to raise the alarm, one of the fairground people shouts, Hey Rube, which is some sort of alert. Yes. That's that's where I first came across that, that, that term. I think I was the same, but I'm not sure if it was used in... The same X-Men issue, or whether it was in something else, but it had the exact same editorial caption explaining it. Yeah, I've got a feeling it might have been in more than one... I've seen it in more than one X-Men story, but yeah, we've all read so many X-Men stories, and this is not an X-Men podcast. <laughs> in fact, do you know what? I probably was alert to that in an episode of The Danger Room, to be honest. Yes. So it's a fair chance that this guy's not actually called Rube. It's probably just the, 
the out-of-town <laughs> fancy Matthew Sweet lookalike reporter mm. being derogatory. Anyway, there's a caption for Paro 4 at page 4. Meantime... And we're back with our shadowy cowboy figure who took his leave in the previous page. He's crossed to a gate and a fence and he's got his knife out and he's thinking... Gotta make sure nobody's looking this way. Okay, I'm in the clear. And then a dynamic shot in the next panel. He uses his knife to cut the rope holding this gate shut. And moments later, a cattle stampede heading directly for Vigilante, Clark and the camera. Yes, very dynamic panel, this. I love it. You see the cattle throwing up a big cloud of dust as indeed they stampede towards Vig and Clark. Vig exclaims, Huh? Clark exclaims, What? And then in the first panel of page five, this is a very, very exciting aerial shot. Vigilante moves off as Clark thinks, Don't have to worry about my camera. Vig is safely out of the way. But the spectators are too paralysed with fear to move. And that's what we see. As I say, it's an aerial shot. So we see the, the cattle rushing towards the crowd. While on the sidelines. And we see our blonde cowboy suddenly, obviously, <laughs> having some regrets as he thinks. Great thunder, what have I done? I was so concerned about the camera, I didn't even think about that crowd. Meantime... Clark has crossed to the WGBS motor vehicle. He's opened the door thinking... Good thing the mobile unit is here. Makes a handy place to switch costume. I already have an idea what I can do to save those people. I spotted some heavy wire on one of those fences. In the next panel, he's already changed into his Superman uniform. He's opened up a hatch in the, the floor of the vehicle, which is pretty cool. And he's flying through it, burrowing into the ground, thinking, My microphone was already on my uniform. It'll only take a second to turn on the mobile unit camera. So now, Clark Kent can report what Superman is doing. And this is a fantastic conceit, listeners. The final panel of page five, we see Superman erupting out of the ground and he grabs hold of the, the heavy wire that he mentioned in the previous panel, starts to uncoil it as he flies up into the air. But at the same time, he's already commentating as Clark. So there's a nice little jagged effect to these pink speech bubbles as we hear Clark reporting. Stampede has already crushed this reporter's camera and is rushing toward the crowd. Oh, those poor people. Wait a minute. Is that a geyser erupting out of the ground? No! No! It's Superman! Wow. The commentary continues in the first panel of page six. The Man of Steel has picked up some heavy-duty wire and is fashioning it into a lasso. And then Superman thinks, as he does so, I sure hope this works. Super aim isn't one of my more superior talents, but here goes. I love panel two, as he's whirling the rope around. And then the large panel that runs out page six is cracking. This has to go on socials. <laughs> Dick Dillon, man. Unbelievable. Yeah. Superman has basically lassoed the entire herd. The cow's rushing towards the camera. Tongue's hanging out. The region. Soups thinks, right on target. Clark reports, whoopee. He did it, folks. Lassoed the entire stampede. What a fantastic feat. And then Soups thinks, sounds hammy talking about myself this way. But Clark Kent calls it the way he sees it. And a small caption at the bottom tells us we are continued in the second page following. In the first panel of page seven, we see Rube in his black and orange striped shirt, standing with the, the out-of-town reporter, who we now see is a nice CND medallion around his neck. And the nice out-of-town reporter is saying, Well, Rube, looks like he got lucky. Soups is here. And there's a sense that this is approaching the end of the day because there's a bit of a sunset going on in the background. And it's lovely, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. In panel two, we see a nice long shot with the sun setting in the background of Soups with the lassoed herd as he thinks, This is the hard part. Dragging the herd back to the pen. Never realised how many cattle could be this strong. Even starting to strain my muscles and to think, 
prior to my losing some of my strength, this would have been a snap. Ah, so that's an interesting reference to what gone on in the pages yes. of Superman a little while ago. Interesting, because we have mm-hmm. commented on some of the inconsistencies that we've seen of this. Yeah. Interesting. A slow dissolve. Superman's task completed. There is another quick costume change. And... Yes, we see him back here with Clark Kent, walking up to the wreckage of the WGBS equipment as he thinks, Yep, this camera's beyond repair. Good thing it's my auxiliary film camera, not one of the more expensive tape models. Well, that's interesting. Film versus outside broadcast video. That's cool. <laughs> Clark picks up the canister on the next panel, thinking, Betcha the film is in terrible shape too. Oh well, I can always shoot another interview with Vig. He looks around in the final panel, thinking, Where is Vig anyway? I was planning to ask him a few questions, starting with, What would make Carol knock down a gate like that? And a slow dissolve to the top of page eight. Where indeed is the vigilante? He's scooting along on his motorbike. Through the, the setting sun. Lovely. The colour work here is gorgeous. It's a shame there's no credit. I would love to have known who'd done it. Yeah. Beautiful. As he scoots along, Veg is thinking. Couple of things I saw need looking into, like that young Ranny turning the critters loose, starting to stampede deliberate-like, then hopping aboard the nearest bronc and hightailing it. Soon as he did, a pretty gal grabbed the pony and followed him, so I reckon I'll do the same. With this wind blowing like a speechmaker at a 4th of July picnic, they won't hear the noise of my bike. And I can see their dust cloud real plain. Yeah, nice shot in panel 3. Almost Greg's point of view as we see the dust cloud on the road in front of him. He gets a nice big close-up for panel 4 and thinks... Problem is, there's another kind of cloud. The mean kind. A wing-ding of a storm brewing. Appears they stopped the other side of this rise. Best to take the high ground for a look-see. Yeah, we see him bringing the bike to a halt. Stepping off with his lariats. I do like Vigilante's costume. I must say, it'd probably be quite easy to cosplay Vigilante, wouldn't it? <laughs> Maybe Santa will bring me some cowboy boots. A tiny Maybe. caption at the bottom of this says, continuing the third page following, we pass lots of adverts. There's a page that's the full page, sort of seven-foot monster, Raquel Welch pillow, skinhead wig type stuff. Hopefully not all together. No, all <laughs> sorts of stuff. And we arrive in the first panel of page nine, Vigilante is using his lasso to rope a large rocky outcrop that's looming above him. I feel plumb like the Batman using a rope for climbing instead of cow punching. Wouldn't be any easier if I was sliding down. He starts climbing up it in panel two. He's reached the top in panel three as he looks around and thinks, Yes, sir, that wind is howling, but it's blowing toward me. I, I can hear a voice. And the voice he hears is pleading. Yes, we see our blonde-haired, stampede-causing cowboy talking to a young lady who's wearing an orange dress. She's long blonde hair. She's carrying a rifle. He's saying, Please, Martha, you've got to. I can't. Johnny, you're the man I love. If that's true, if you really love me, you use your rifle. You put the bullet I gave you through my heart. I told you what will happen, the horrible thing I'll do. I beg you, spare me. Spare us my shame. Kill me now. And Martha, who this appears to be, so it's another Martha and Jonathan. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Martha is lowering her rifle so that it points at Johnny's chest, and she looks very pained mm. as she says quietly, All right, dearest. But before the weeping girl can pull the trigger... Yes, there's a blam, sound of a gunshot, as the rifle is shot out of her hand. You see a nice long shot of the vigilante standing still in his rocky outcrop in the next panel as he looks down and says, Rest easy. I didn't mean to spook you. Figured the quickest way to make sure nobody got hurt was to shoot the little lady's carbine. Generally, I prefer shooting hardware to shooting people. That's carbine, not carmine. <laughs> not carbine in <laughs> Tino. 
Panel 3, Vigilante jumps down from the rocky outcrop towards them, saying, Hardware at least can be fixed, in case of mistake. Now, mind explaining? Johnny puts his hands on Martha's arms. She's covering her face up. She cries, the looks of things. Johnny says to, to Greg, None of your business. Just go away. Leave us alone, emotes Martha. Vigilante's picked up a rifle, panel four, saying, Usually I would, only you put a lot of innocent folks in the path of getting trampled back at the rodeo, and it tends to make me a mite curious, not to say mad. And at this point he sort of cocks the rifle and releases the bullet that Martha was about to fire. It drops into his palm. In the final panel of page ten, we see it shining as Vigilante says, Miss, you sure go in for costly ammo. I'm guessing this shell is close to pure silver. You ain't heard lead is cheaper? In the first panel of page 11, we cut to a sort of wider shot of them standing. Johnny points away from the group and says, It's it's too late. Blast you, vigilante. Your meddling has cursed me. Look! Take a drink, listeners, because a certain celestial object is starting to rise, coming up from behind the rocky outcrops of the desert. Vigilante clarifies this in the next panel, saying, I don't see anything except for a full moon rising. Guaranteed, if this was an episode of the Power of Three Doctor Who podcast that I still occasionally contribute to. <laughs> Kenny Smith would be queuing up a certain song at this point to play us out. Yes. But anyway, Johnny starts to run away. We can see the moon clear us, so take another drink. He calls back towards Martha and Vigilante, saying, I gotta get away! Get myself where I can do no harm! Martha, crying panel three, says, Stop him! He'll hurt himself! Don't understand how. That trail he's burning up only leads to an abandoned mine. I can tell you wouldn't ask without a reason, though, so I'll light out in his direction. His vigilante starts to run after Johnny as Martha says, Hurry! Hurry! And then in panel five, vigilante catches up to Johnny, rugby tackles him, essentially, as we would say over here, grabs him by the legs to bring him down, saying, Whoa, young fella, you ain't going any place until you do some talking. Johnny replies, Let me go! Down on the ground in the final panel of page six, his vigilante says, Not a chance. And then we see that Vig has noticed something as a Nice little aura of shock around them as he looks down at Johnny on the ground and continues, y- your, your hand. What's happening to your hand? And Johnny's hand, it seems, has turned a little bit brown. And there's a weird sort of glow coming from him. There's a caption at the top of page 12 that reads, An animal snarl and the vigilante gasps in astonishment as he sees... A, a wolf! A human wolf! Yep, Johnny... Whirls around and we see that his face has changed, his ears have elongated, his hair is swept back and darker, his canine teeth are larger, his brows are heavier, his nose is squatter, his whole face has changed colour, he looks furious, a caption for panel two. With a quick convulsive heave, the bizarre creature heaves the crime fighter away and pounds up the trail toward the entrance to an old mine. Yep, seeing what you see captioning there, Veggie gets thrown back down on the ground as Johnny gets up and runs off. In panel four, Vigilante gets his feet, pulls a gun, thinking, I plain can't believe it, but it's real and dangerous. Gotta bring him down. He takes aim at Johnny, but then in the final panel of page 12, Martha arrives and kicks Vigilante's hand just as he fires, saying, No! Don't kill him! There's a blam as the gun goes off, and Vigilante says, I wasn't aiming to miss. I figured in winging him. We arrive at the top of page 13. We can see the entrance to the old mine works that were just mentioned. Vigilante and Martha approaching. Martha says, Maybe I can talk to what Johnny's become. Maybe, but he ain't going in there alone. I'm sticking with you close as fur and a coyote. Then? Yes, nice shot, this one. There's a touch of the Joe Kubert's to it, actually. Mm-hmm. 
We're inside the mine. Looking out, we can see the silhouettes of Vigilante and Martha at the entrance. Vigilante says, Can't make out anything in this darkness. Me either. But Johnny has to be here. There's no other exit. And then she calls, Johnny! Johnny! We want to help you. And they moved into the mine. Nice moody sort of blues and greys to signify that they're in almost total darkness here. But Johnny is jumping down from behind. At that instant, the vigilante's keen ears detect a faint sound. He whirls and... Johnny has landed. Vigilante cocks his pistol, pushes Martha out of the way, saying, Get behind me. He ain't in a listening mood. Johnny obviously isn't backing off. He moves towards Vigilante the next panel. Vigilante fires twice, saying, No choice. I gotta use my iron. The sound of the shot echoes through the tunnel, loosening ancient timbers, causing them to fall. Yeah, very dynamic shot. Again, it reminds me of Joe Kubert for some reason. We see the timbers crashing down, Vigilante caught amongst the debris. A caption reads continues in the second page following. Pass the full page advertisement for superhero stick-ons. It sticks your favourites up against the wall. And that's such a cool advert, actually. I might put it in the socials. I do like that. And it's a change of scenery. Top of page 14. A slow dissolve of uh, grand style as the caption for the first panel reads. Meantime, as Clark Kent, microphone in hand, wanders among the rodeo crowd. He almost looks like Andy Williams or (laughs) Val Dunican or someone or Matt Monroe about to do some crooning. He does, yeah. If you ask me, listeners... That reminds me, there's an issue of Superboy when Clark talks about listening to Andy Williams because you can make out the words. Do you remember that? Of course, yes. Fantastic. <laughs> They're on a beach somewhere. Uh-huh. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> that's Tangent City, New Jersey for you listeners. Clark mm. is thinking, sure wish I knew where Vig, hey, I just noticed. Panel two, he moves towards the gate that we saw earlier on that Johnny cut the, the rope that was binding it. And Clark is examining the rope thinking, I should have stopped to check this out before. This rope on the fence gate didn't break, it was cut. But why would anyone want to let all those cattle out? Unless he starts running towards the WGBS vehicle in the next panel, thinking, Let's see now. The first thing the cattle hid was my camera. Could that be it? Is there something on that film someone didn't want anyone to see? That's an enormous deductive leap there from the big man, it must be said. <laughs> Inside the vehicle for the final panel, Clark is removing his outer garments to reveal a Superman uniform as he continues to think, This film sure is a mess. Won't be able to make any sense out of it alone, but I know someone who has the facilities for getting this crumpled thing back into proper viewing shape. And with that, we have another slow dissolve at the top of page 15, and a caption reads, Night, like an inky shroud, has enveloped Gotham City, and certain acrobatic criminals take full advantage of the darkness. The Darkness, obviously, were a popular band that probably didn't share the bill with menswear because they came along a few years too late. Listeners, you are going to be absolutely foo as we say in Scotland, after this page. Not only is there a full moon looming in the background, but there are two dustbins beside (laughs) this group of three young men. There's a taller one at the bottom, with another guy standing on his shoulders, and standing on his shoulders, there's another lad, obviously trying to make their way into a window, trying to break in. There's technically two dustbins and a full moon, that's three drinks, right? Yes. The caption for panel two of this page. But this night, there are other forties at work as well. Yes, very much in the way that he did in JLA issue 100 a few weeks ago. (laughs) A familiar caped Dark Knight detective swings in on a rope, saying, I figured you three would strike here at this time. The boy at the top of the the pile, for want of a better way of putting it, exclaims, Huh? And then the guy in the middle cries, The Batman! And then in panel three, this is great, Batman swings in and basically kicks the one in the middle. 
And it looks like they've all gone topsy-turvy. The way it's been coloured, <laughs> the boy with the yellow shirt was at the top of the pile, but he's now at the bottom. Yeah. And the boy in the green shirt who was standing as the sort of foundation, he's now at the top. So has Batman sent them all flying? I don't know. But anyway, Batman swings in, kicks the boy in the black and orange striped shirt in the middle and says, And figuring it wasn't hard. Once I discovered your crimes, have followed a definite pattern. Great panel, bottom page 15, as the, the three boys that Batman has just interrupted. One of them, obviously, has done a somersault to land on his feet, as the other two, with a bock and a sock, are getting stuck into Batman, hitting him with punches. Again, we see a couple of dustbins and a full moon in the background, so take a drink. And flying in in front of the full moon is our Man of Steel, who thinks, There he is. I better wait. The Cape Crusader appears to have his hands full at the moment. This story is rattling by. Good grief. First panel of page 16, Superman alights, watching the fight continue. Batman's actually down on his knees at this point. The other two boys are getting properly stuck in. And Soups is thinking, I could join in, but I doubt he'd want me to. This is something he'd prefer to handle alone. And it basically looks though Batman's getting his ass handed to him because the, the boy in yellow has gone down on his hands and knees. They've obviously been watching the Doctor Who story, The Visitation. Else <laughs> Eric Sayward read this comic before he wrote The Visitation. Mm. The boy in yellow's gone down on his knees and the boy in green is knocking Batman over him. And then in panel two, Superman appears to be yawning in the background as all three lads are laying tons of punches into Batman. But then Batman rallies, grabs the boy in the green, the boy in the yellow, and flips them over. Punches them in the jaw in the next one, and they're both down on the ground. And in the final panel, page 16, he takes out the one in the orange and black striped shirt. Batman's face in darkness as he knocks out the last one. They're all down on the ground in the first panel, page 17, as Batman stands over them, thinking, Another one coming up from behind. I'll handle him just as easy. Yes, the shadow falls, but then as Batman turns around, he sees that it is... What? Superman! About time you finish your business, pal. I was afraid I'd have to wait all night before I could talk to you. What about... And they exit this alley in the next panel with a full moon, I mean the background, and the dustbin to the right. It's almost as though Joe Giella anticipated us talking about this sort of stuff. <laughs> or maybe he listened to our episodes about the Spectre maybe. and thought, I'm going to mess with their heads in a few years. And the livers. Yes. Heek. I'm only in the water today, listeners. I don't know about you. <laughs> Superman is saying, I need your help with some business I'm involved in. Soon as I turn in this gang, I always feel an ego boost when you superpowered fellows come to me for help. And a slow dissolve. Presently, beneath Wayne Manor, in the spacious cavern known as the Batcave. Yep, the kind of film that Superman took with him. It's been rigged up onto a nice projector. Batman is saying. That ought to do it. The film will be a bit jumpy, but viewable. Let her roll. Film starts to project in the next panel. You see Soups and Bats watching. Soups is saying. I can't see anything, Edward. I do. Stop the film. Stop the film. That's blackmail from Monty Python, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, man. Anyway, enough of that. We see the final panel of page 17 that they've paused the film, and it's a good shot of young blonde Johnny, who, as we know, caused all the hassle by starting to stampede, and as we know, transformed into a werewolf, and as we know, was going for a vigilante a couple of pages ago. Batman is saying, I've been giving myself a refresher course in supernaturalism, and that man has the unique classical look of someone who suffers from lycanthropy. Lycanthropy? You mean, he's a werewolf? Says Soups. And going by that, looking at the image, I suppose all we can really go for is the fact that his, his very thick eyebrows meet in the yes. middle. <laughs> 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 uh, 
That man is the chauffeur for Lady Penelope. Yes. That man's parents are clearly from Johnston. <laughs> Shouldn't laugh at my own expense there. Right, over the page, first panel of page 18, the caption there reads, Moments later, a human comet streaks westward from Gotham City. Yes, yeah, Superman flying through the air, take a drink, because a certain lunar object is behind his hands, and as he flies along, Soups is thinking, I must get back there. This is the night of the full moon. If Batman's right, if there really is a werewolf loose at that rodeo, there's no telling who he might claim as his victim. There's a werewolf loose at the rodeo. That's an episode of Cold Jack the Night's Got Just Waiting to Happen. <laughs> if they hadn't done it on a ship. Wow. Stay tuned for our forthcoming Cold Jack the Night Stalker podcast. That would have been season two. Yes, and yes, that's right. It would have been someone that was attacked by the same wolves that attacked the guy that went on the ship in the first season. That's it. Right. Perfect. Panel two, Soups is flying back down towards the rodeo area, thinking... Perhaps this explains Vidge's disappearance. He might have seen the rope had been cut and scooted off after the guy, unaware of what he was. Maybe, from up here, I can spot... And in the next panel, a full moon loops in the background as Superman loops and twists over the desert, thinking, yes, there's Vidge's cycle, parked near that old mine. And a full moon looms, probably the same full moon, let's be honest, looms in the background in the final panel of page 18 as Superman flies down towards the main workings, thinking... My x-ray vision reveals that he and two others have been trapped in a cave-in. And one of those two is the beast itself! <gasps> Continued in the second page following, we pass an advertisement for Joe Weeder's muscle-building course. And the caption for the first panel on page 19 reads... And below... Yes, we're back inside the mine. We see Vigilante trapped under a piece of wood. We see Martha unconscious on the ground behind him. And Johnny... Moving around, Vigilante, he looks very Cooper, or is it actually very Toth? Yeah. Now that I think about I think it. Toth there. Interesting. Uh-huh. That looks very deliberate. It looks very much like one of those Johnny Thunder panels in that story mm-hmm. we did a couple of years ago. Yep. Vigilante is thinking, We are in a fix. I'm pinned under maybe half a ton of rubble. Take a month of Sundays to dig me free. And the gal's out cold. The wolfman, though, he's in fine shape. Soon as he shakes off the dirt, I'm betting he'll turn ornery. Mighty ornery. Yeah, we see indeed Johnny shaking off the dirt, standing up, moving towards Martha. Vigilante's thoughts continue. Yeah, like I feared. He's stalking her, and even in this bad light, I can see the glitter of bloodlust in his eyes. Johnny looms over Martha. Vigilante draws his pistols, manoeuvres into position, thinking, Gunplay didn't stop him before. Probably won't now, but I certainly sure gotta try. Then the final panel of page 19, he fires a few shots, at Werewolf Johnny. My slug's having no more effect than Nat's biting a boulder. He ain't even bothering to pay attention to him. Gosh, that's quite scary. He doesn't even turn round. He's still approaching Martha. As the bizarre, nightmarish creature raises a paw to strike, a shadow passes over him, momentarily blocking the moonlight. Then... Yes, because the bearer of the shadow is none other than Superman, who's arrived and grabbed Johnny by the wrists. Vigilante tips his hat back, saying... Superman! Are you a sight for sore eyes? Reckon I know how Ms. Lois Lane feels when you show up at the dead right moment. All part of the job, Vidge. Pardon me, this won't take any time at all. One solid slap should finish it. I thought, let's go, Johnny. There's a massive slap sound effect as he strikes him. Johnny seems to go flying backwards, but the caption for the next panel reads... However, the Man of Steel's blow doesn't finish it, for the creature rebounds from the wall, snarling... Attacking! Yes, looking more vicious than he has done at any point. He looms towards Superman. Superman looks a little bit concerned in the final panel of page 20 as Johnny approaches, thinking, I forgot! Werewolves are cursed with black magic! And magic is the one thing that can beat me! 
I've got a tough fight in my hands. Then there is silence, except for the muted scuffle of feet on rock, laboured breathing, and the growls of an enraged beast. Basically, Johnny and Superman fight for three panels. Johnny punches at Superman who falls backwards. Superman punches back in panel two as Johnny falls backwards. And in panel three, Johnny has got Superman round the throat, which is actually very close, I suppose, to the image we got in the opening splash mm-hmm. page. We get a close-up of Vigilante in panel four, who thinks, Superman's battling for his life and mine, and I'm sitting here like a burn a bronc, helpless. Even if my partner wins, and he probably will, he'll be plenty hurt. My fault too. I got us into this mess. And in panel five, Martha puts her hand on Vigilante's arm, saying, Vigilante! Gal, you shouldn't be moving. B- bullet from rifle. And then she passes out. Vigilante, his eyes go wide as he thinks. She passed out again. But she gave me maybe an answer. But she gave me maybe an answer. That's shocking grammar, Mr. Saunders. First panel, page 22. Vigilante has something in his hand. And he thinks. I recollect werewolves can only be stopped with silver. But this slug I took from her carbine. Problem is, it won't fit my six guns. He looks behind them, the next panel, as Johnny and Superman continue to tussle in the background. You can see Martha's rifle, but... And the long gun is out of my reach. Wait, maybe not. I can use my ammo belt as a lariat, snare the carbine's barrel on the buckle, and snag it on the sights. And that's what he does over the next three panels. He does his belt, pulls it forward, catches over the rifle, pulls it towards him. Final panel of page 22, he thinks... A quick tug, and I got her. First panel of page 23, we see the shadows of Superman and the werewolf fighting as Vigilante attempts to draw a shot using the rifle. He's thinking, Blast! They've moved round that heap of rock. No clear shot. Can't see a blame thing except their shadows. He gets a close-up in panel two. Sweat on his brow as he squints with one eye, still trying to take aim as he thinks. But the shadows just might be enough. This is the trickiest stunt I've ever tried to pull. Gotta judge it perfectly. Send the bullet at an angle against the wall. And he fires. So it'll ricochet round the heap and pray it hits my target. And that's indeed over scenes of three panels which might end up in a social. That's what happens. The bullet ricochets off the, the main wall and strikes Johnny, who exclaims, Arrgh! Superman looks relieved. And we arrive at the top of page 24. First panel, Superman walks over. Uses his enormous strength to lift up the piece of timber that's trapping Vigilante as he says, Thanks, Vig. I might not have lasted much longer. The Wolfman. How is he? The next panel, Superman has lifted Martha off the ground and he replies, I'm afraid you killed him. But I didn't want to. He was a human being and what he did was no fault of his own. I feel rotten. In the final panel, a shot of Johnny lying, looking very peaceful in death. Our heroes silhouetted behind him as Superman says, Don't. I think you may have done him a favour. At least he died a man. And a small caption reads, The end. end. And the rest of the page, taking up the DC house ad for Flash issue 218, I think it is, and Mm -hmm. for issue 102 of the Justice League of America. Gosh. On sale in two days' time. (laughs) Yes. And obviously which we covered two weeks ago. Wibbly wobbly tiny wimey. Well, we rattled through that story. Yes, that was fantastic. A lot of fun. It, really quick. It's so weird having it. Do you not feel it's quite jarring? As if you're kind of just thrown in, no backstory was given for Johnny or any explanation. It was just yes. a wolfman at a rodeo. I know, I know it's serious. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Do you really think she'll pull through? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's very very economic. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm struck by the by the two writers' credits at the start. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like it was just divvied up between them. Where did the plot come from? Uh, <laughs> I mean, did someone start it off and someone else finish it? Like, yeah. Did Steve Skeet say, I've got an idea, but I can't quite finish it? And Julie says, I'll yeah. hand it off to Denny. Or was it Julie's idea and he said, right, you guys skip this between you? But it's the fact it splits different pages. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, just looking at it here, it's Skeet's is responsible for the Superman and Batman interlude. Okay. Which makes me makes me wonder if that was added in, ex- you know, added in sort of as an extra almost. Yeah, that may have been. It might mean need to pad out the story. It might. Have... Yeah, but then yeah. Skeet's also did pages one to seven. Denny did AG pages eight to thirteen, and then did the wind up. Mm. Things it, it doesn't feel like it's been written by two people. No, but it does feel, as you say, it's a little jarring. It's so economical. Like uh-huh. we don't go back to the to the reporter guy. Mm-hmm. You almost get the sense that they were being set up to be part of. Yes, it. definitely. Johnny, you know, as you say, there's nothing to explain what happened to Johnny, how he was cursed, why he's a werewolf, Uh why he was so worried about his face being seen. I mean, did Mm -hmm. he know that someone like Batman would be able to recognise him? I mean, because he just looks like a normal guy, really. He doesn't doesn't look too... But then he has part of his face in shadows. Maybe his features aren't too clear. Maybe we are supposed to assume that the unibrow is... Yeah. As an indicator. I don't know about you, but I get very Incredible Hulk TV series vibes from it, with Johnny being David Banner and like not wanting to be seen that. And the other reporter gave me a Jack McGee vibe as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, bizarre. It, it almost work, would work as an episode of The Hulk if you just had David, David Banner in the, the vigilante role mm-hmm. of um, having to chase someone and yeah. confront them and mm-hmm. sadly shoot him down. And you, you'd have the, the pathos as this guy died as a turn back to normal and David was still cursed, but I don't know. If, yeah. I don't know if they would have done werewolves. It might have been a bit too out there. No, it would have been. Yeah, maybe if Bill hadn't, if Bill Bixby hadn't died, and made another couple of TV movies, they might have got to werewolves. They got to got Jack Russell <laughs> in. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. or um, or something. You know, the the mm-hmm. fifth reunion movie might have involved werewolves. It would have been out at Halloween. Yeah, it writes itself. John Jameson Jr. You know, could have had him. Absolutely. Now, I find it fascinating that, like the last story we did with him. This is a vigilante story involving a rodeo. Yes. <laughs> it's not his first rodeo. <laughs> I think that's quite amusing. Yeah, like his, his last his last solo story was a rodeo, but the last time we saw him uh, involved a stampede. Exactly, yes. Which is so weird. <laughs> so two rodeos, rodeos and two stampedes in consecutive stories. Yeah, so <laughs> by the time, listeners, if we get to Adventure Comics 426 and 27 and there's a stampede at a rodeo, I think we should all phone DC and ask for our money back, <laughs> quite frankly. I'm a little disappointed the cover was so, you know, unrepresentative. I would have loved to have seen a scene with a rope bridge. That would have added some real drama. I know. That looked very exciting. It certainly sold it to me when I bought it originally. You know, I thought, oh, this looks great. And um, no, it's, it's a mine. It's, 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 it's like literally the opposite of being, you know, up in the in the sky, hanging yeah. over a ravine. Yeah. It's literally your underground. It's like, oh, right, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it quite literally is. Oh, everything we were saying then about the... The lack of backstory for Johnny. I mean, mm-hmm. that little sidestep with Batman and the and the tumbling mm-hmm. triplets and yeah. stuff. I mean, those pages could have been maybe the report. The reporters that were on the site finding out some kind of information about yeah. local vamp. You know, mm-hmm. they said vampire, local werewolf stuff, and uh-huh. they find out some stuff about Johnny. And mm-hmm. because Clark's there as a reporter, mm-hmm. he overhears it or something. You know, that might have been a bit more yeah. interesting rather than the the weird Batman cameo. Do you think this is a way to kind of Get the readers to accept we're going back to kind of a Superman Batman formula. 
and they wanted to like neatly bring that in. Yeah, that's possible. Uh, I mean, obviously, Batman was only actually in it a couple of issues uh-huh. ago. Can't remember which issue number off the top of my head. But there's the one where Batman can fly and Superman can't. That was only a few issues ago. But yeah, yeah. for a good 15 or 16 issues now, you know, starting with those issues with, um, mm-hmm. with Flash, it's, it's, been a, it's not been a, a traditional world's finest. Yeah. It hasn't been Bats and, and Soup. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. I mean, it's they may have been sort of going, right, we're going to just put this back to normal. Let's remind everyone that Batman pops up in this comic. But stick it. That's a good thought. Yeah. That's, that's fair. I think it's a, a good guess. I think Johnny, with his transformed Wolfman look and his green shirt and the way his head looks, it gave me definite vibes of Kane from House of Mystery in some panels. Like at the bottom of page 19, you could be, forg- I can see that. You can be forgiven for thinking, what's Kane doing and why is he looking quite so creepy? Yes, it's definitely the look, mm-hmm. isn't it, for a, a mystery comic or a comic coast. Yeah. I think we commented on that to someone else, actually, another episode. We did, recently. yeah. There's a lot of that going around. <laughs> I was sort of really surprised at how quickly we got through it. So, I mean, for a 24-page story, uh-huh. we got through it very quickly. Yeah. It's not the densest. It's, it rattles along. It is quite exciting. I think it it probably it's probably a quicker, more exciting read than listening to us sort of telling it, to be honest. Yeah. Or, I mean, maybe I'm doing us a disservice. I've, I need to wait and see how this all sounds once you've stuck it all together. <laughs> it rattled along. I mean, I liked the, the bit when Superman was like, um, I'm going to go and ask Batman for help. Yeah. I'm not clever enough to figure this out. Mm-hmm. But in saying that, he stands there and just waits while Batman is being beaten up at that moment. Yes. Which is, you know, it can actually stop at any second, but instead it's just like, no, I'll just wait. Yeah. One of those guys could have a knife soups, okay? Come on. Exactly. That's your pal there. <laughs> Page 16, panel 3, where Soup stands yawning because it's taken Batman <laughs> so long. That's definitely going to the socials, by the way. <laughs> it's almost, as I was saying that as well, that the way that the kids are kind of tipping Batman over, one of them is kneeled down on the ground, that's mm. that's obviously being played for laughs. Yeah. The Batman stuff's almost more in line with like the Adam West era. You know, you could see that sort of thing maybe then. Except this is, this is a bit more wink at the reader kind of thing, this bit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But bearing in mind they're trying to make him, you know, more Dark Knight Detective as opposed to Cape Crusader at this stage. Uh-huh. It's a little jarring. Yeah. I'll give you that, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's... It's ultimately it's a bit of a tragedy. I feel so sorry for Martha. She's going to wake up and find that Johnny's gone, even though yeah. you know it's quite sad. It's I mean it's it has an air of a sort of an eight page house of mystery, house of secret story as well. At the same time, it, yeah, it's interesting because we're around about the period obviously where all star western has morphed into yeah. weird western, and, and adventure comics is about to get the weird adventure sort of headline in a few months as well. Mm-hmm. With the comic code being relaxed, that's exactly what I was about to say. We know that things that the the code have relaxed, so maybe they're they're just kind of pushing the envelope a little bit by putting werewolf stories in because, you know, this isn't the sort of thing we've had in any of the superhero stories we've done at all, really. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. Do you think it's really weird that this rodeo has got Vigilante in to perform as opposed to getting Greg Sanders in to actually play? Ooh, that's an interesting point. It seemed more logical to get a performer in to to do some stuff as opposed to get this semi-retired minor superhero into, what's he going to do, some rope tricks? Oh, it's fancy shooting. It's fancy shooting he was going to do, yeah. Maybe they they know their audience. Maybe Mm -hmm. they know that all these cowpokes and stuff, you know, maybe Greg's who they want to see. I don't know. That's, That's an interesting point. Yeah. I'm just really amused. It's just like consecutive vigilante stories and it's rodeos again. That's hilarious. But it's a fair point. I mean, we've got to remember the last time we saw Greg, so we saw this version of Vigilante because uh-huh. we're sticking to a assertion that this is the Earth One Vigilante. Yeah. He'd been leaving what we guess was New York and mm-hmm. heading out. So maybe this, maybe this is what he's fallen into. He's fallen into working on the rodeo circuit to try and get some bucks or Looks to like it. see how things are going. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really have anything else to be honest. 
It was also kind of interesting how the Silver Bullet reveal happened and Martha changing her mind, going from, okay, I will shoot you, and then to say, no, no, save him, save him, when obviously she'd been talked into killing him. I think, you know, she obviously feels very conflicted at the thought of having to shoot her. Yeah. Her love, it's very, I mean, it's said earlier on, it's tragic, it's very sad. Actually, that puts me in mind the one thing I didn't, we haven't really commented on. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that Superman was affected by the fact that he's a supernatural black magic creature. Yes. That was quite interesting, because uh-huh. that calls back to JLA 102 the other week, or published in two days' time, mm-hmm. about you know, when Soups was reminded, we were reminded that Soups was vulnerable to magic and Dr. Fate could take him out if he felt like it. Yeah. That's a nice little bit of shading to add into it, I think. Yes, and indeed Superman says, magic's my only vulnerability, because of course kryptonite's not an issue anymore at this stage. This is true. Until that's brought back. So it was interesting to have that underlined. Defos. Sadly, there's no contemporary correspondence by this time. Which is very disappointing, actually, because yeah. I would like to have seen what the people at the time thought of this one, mm-hmm. given everything that we've just discussed about Batman's cameo and magic and two vigilantes and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But we do have some other stuff to talk about in general. Right. One thing we didn't mention in our Seven Soldiers wind-up that I wanted to mention was the fact that when Vigilantes rescued by Green Arrow, Black Canary and Johnny Thunder, he doesn't recognise... Green Arrow as being possibly his Green Arrow because obviously they should look similar he's got a similar costume and method of operation but it's it's just the goatee yes that's fair he just doesn't recognise him at all you think he'd have commented on that that's true that's interesting obviously there was so much to talk about in Jelly 100 to 102 we're probably <laughs> going to keep thinking of other stuff that we could have said at the time yeah. for, for months afterwards yeah yeah that's that's a fair point and something that had occurred to me it wouldn't have been an issue, obviously, if, if it had been the, the Superman, Metamorpho and Sandman team that went to rescue Vigilante, yeah, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, you know, if the lads, if, if Rex, Bruce and Ted had done it. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, it's interesting. Like the whole two Vigilante thing, the fact that they don't talk about it or address it means that they probably thought about it and went, you know what? <laughs> Let's not open up a can of worms. It's going to be, but you bet your backside. If Roy Thomas had written it, he would have fallen over himself. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And it would have got three pages, uh-huh. sort of. Um, but then we're very, very close to the next JLA JSA crossover. As the crow flies, listeners, not, we're hardly getting the chance to pause for breath before we do JLA one hundred seven one hundred eight. It's very close. I know. As a time of recording, we haven't yet decided what we're going to do with it. But you know, it's clear reading that that the Freedom Fighters are on Earth X, and that Roy deciding to use All-Star Squadron to set up an origin for them is just completely unnecessary and very, very messy. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for sweeping things under the carpet and not feeling the need to tie up every single little bit of continuity, I think. Definitely. Leave it to the readers to use their imagination. Yeah. There's one thing that I meant to mention in our wrap-up episode for Seven Soldiers that I totally forgot about. Yeah, you can you can obviously you can do it now because this is our coda episode yes. to the summer of the Seven Soldiers. So it's all, it's the proper tying a bow. Mm-hmm. Before we move back into the, the rest of it all. So hit me then. Hit me. Go on. I prepared David for this. And I said, this is going to blow your mind. Right. No pressure. So the end of issue 102 of GLA have got the assembled heroes. There's a big massive threat that's going to destroy the world. There is a weapon that they're going to take away to destroy this threat. But it means that the person taking it away is going to get probably killed. And Superman says, I'll do it. Did you not have a flashback? to the end of 1966 and Adventure Comics issue 353, The Doomed Legionnaire, where the Sun Eater is coming in to destroy the world. Ah. And Superboy's all ready to fly out, but he's weakened and Feral Lad punches him in his weakened Feral state. Lad, yeah. And grabs the device to go up and fly away and destroy the Sun Eater, sacrificing himself the same way Red Tornado does, saving everyone. 
And again, Superman's the one that's kind of, you know, he was going to volunteer to do it, but it happened, well, Superboy in the case of Adventure Comics, but it didn't pan out that way. 1966, December 66, that came out. Oh, what a night. <laughs> Three years out, I know. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. There is a similarity. I still feel a little dissatisfied by the ending. I still feel that we should have had a couple more pages somehow in 102 where mm-hmm. everybody sort of says cheerio and the two green arrows have a conversation and yeah. all that yeah. sort of thing. And The big giant crowd panel just doesn't do it, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. that is a good point. That is worth mentioning. It's an obvious parallel. I'm not sure what else to add to that. But you're right. It's it's No, it's yeah, it's cool. To be honest, it's only when I was like, editing the episodes together at the end that that really hit me because I think we're both yeah. too close to the story to actually take a step back and look at the overall Aye. plot as far as that goes at that stage so yeah it has felt very odd the last couple of weeks not reading through just GLA issues 100 to 102 because we've recorded <laughs> and I don't actually have been doing that for months uh-huh. and of course it's all undercut with the fact that Red Tornado comes back a couple of issues later and mm-hmm. I know it's yeah <laughs> isn't actually dead <laughs> should we cover that we should yeah, yeah we're, I don't I don't know I think what we're probably going to do, listeners, what I'm, what I'm veering towards, and it might change, obviously, I don't think we're going to do... Issue 106 of Justice League brings Red Tornado back. There's an explanation at the beginning of that as to what happens. I don't think we'll do the... I don't think we'll, we need to do the whole issue as an individual episode. I think I'll probably just prepare a, a reasonably detailed summary there we are. that we can we can read to you at the beginning of our episode about issue 107 just to get everyone up to speed of what's happening with Red Tornado. It's, it's interesting, though, because it sets up, it really sets up ready for the rest of the decade. But of course, that's, um, that's a whole other story entirely. Mm-hmm. This episode has really supposedly ostensibly mm-hmm. been about World's Finest Comics issue 214. Featuring the Vigilante. Now, as we always say, every time we do a Vigilante episode, listeners, if you like the Vigilante, you should check out Ranger Gord's amazing Prairie Justice podcast. Absolutely. Where he does full radio dramatizations a bit more advanced i would say than the, what what i tried to do for our jla 100 to 102 but he does full dramatizations of those golden age stories so yes please check out ranger gord's amazing podcast yes so it's the very least you can do if you enjoyed his performance of vigilante for us a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. be sure to check out the socials i've been accumulating foreign reprints of this for a good couple of years now i've got four or five found a few pages of it original art as well so they'll be going up to give you some more context cool. and some more appreciation of this story and if you want to check out those socials on facebook and instagram we're at the earth 2 podcast and on twitter we're at podcast underscore earth 2 and it's the number two for all our social media if you're feeling generous you go to wherever it is you receive your podcast and leave us a positive review if you're feeling even more generous you could go to our coffee page find it on link tree and buy peter the price of a beverage to help him relax after all editing he's been doing for the last few weeks months years <laughs> that'd be lovely Join us next week for another fairly labour-intensive editing episode. (laughs) 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 It's just the way they fall, isn't it? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. As we do some more DC Legacy digging, see if you can guess what that's Mm -hmm. going to be about, eh? Mm. The only one we to find out, and that's the tune-in. And on that note, I've been Peter. I've been David. Thanks for listening. See you soon on... The Earth 2 Podcast! Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. With a quick convulsive heave, the bizarre creature... he uh, Repetition of heave threw me there. Yes. Repetition of heave supported menswear at um, <laughs> Liverpool Lomax in 1996. <laughs> <laughs> well, I might keep that one in, actually. <laughs>